everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for our first 2022 Writing Works Wonders open mic celebration. We know you will enjoy the fun and entertainment as we explore the vast and varied talent of our extended community of writers. Don't worry about collecting all the author's details. Each reader will announce their name and the title of their piece they are reading. When we post this recording online and on our podcast feed, we'll include those details as well. Get ready for another episode full of learning, laughter, and new ideas for readers and writers. So buckle up, buttercup, and get ready to be wowed by poetry, fantasy, science fiction, memoir, mystery, humor, and anything that includes words. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Yay! And I have the master of the universe, Buttercup. Beam me up. <laughs> I love when you say that, Buttercup. Hi, everybody. We are so excited. We have such a great lineup. All of you are so talented. Thank you for those who are here to listen in and support our readers. Every single one of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are thrilled to have you. So without further ado, we are going to start with our lineup. Marlene Massat. Word growth. Ballad. Take a word. Add more to make a phrase, then expand to sentence stage. Take a phrase, add more in lines. This develops into a poem over time. Take a sentence, add more thought. Soon you have a paragraph, then add to the broth. Paragraphs blend to complete a scene. Scenes combine to tell a story you mean. The story might be a chapter in your new book. Let your mind take you into places you haven't looked. Blend these three without frustration into your story, action, dialogue, narration. Setting is the place where your story takes shape. Characters are the people affected by the plot your story takes. Plot is the essence of what your story is about. Characters are the people that give your story clout. The possibilities are endless when you allow your mind to explore. Do not be afraid to step through that door. Stories are born from experiences within. Take something true, then let your mind imagine. Your story can be shaped however you choose. It is your playground for you to enthuse. Whether you seek to, to tell nonfiction truth or choose to write a mystery with amateur sleuth, each piece is your own to develop at will. How it turns out is how you the facts spill. Allow your imagination to guide your hand as your creativity flows, even if it is unplanned. Phonetic Fun by Marlene Massat. Alphabet, Beta Fret, Charlie Couldn't, Delta Wouldn't, Echo Repeated, Foxtrot Retreated, Golf, Bogies, Hotel Cozies, India Ran, Juliet Scammed, Kilo Wade, Lima Prayed, Mark Mentioned, November Ventured, Oscar War, Papa Swore, Quebec Quoted, Romeo Noted, Sierra Stumbled, Tango Tumbled, Uniform United, Victor Invited, Whiskey Drank, X-Ray Shrank, Yankee Yelled, Zulu Rebelled, and... Great job! Fabulous. <laughs> you did great with that. Oh my! 
My name is Annie Chapetta. I'm going to read an excerpt from my new novel called Hope for the Tarnished. It's an excerpt of chapter 15. Angel lived with Eddie now that his brother was a coach on the Olympic powerlifting team. When things at the apartment were rough, Abby stayed at Eddie's. Abby tried letting the dog stay at her apartment, but Angel would not let Dutch inside. And often unnerved Rose with what she called the, quote, death stare. Abby reluctantly gave Angel back to Eddie. Angel only jogged for short distances now, her muzzle showing gray. She was still energetic and loved to run, just not as much as she used to do. As Angel and she passed the Leonetti's house from across the street, Abby noticed Augie's forest green British sports car in the driveway and stopped. Frank's sedan wasn't there. The last time Augie and she had spoken, he had said that he wouldn't be back home till summer recess. Seeing him here unexpectedly made her stomach tighten. Angel whined and pulled at the leash, ears flat against her skull. Abby wasn't sure what to do. Her feet refused to move and her eyes scanned the house. The front door opened. Two people walked down the path holding suitcases. She shaded her eyes with the hand and squinted through the morning sun. She recognized Augie, but not the girl. Augie opened the driver's side door and stowed the suitcases. He and the girl walked around the car to the passenger side. He opened the car door and bent to kiss her on the lips. Angel barked, and Augie and the girl turned to look. Abby met Augie's eyes, the surprise clear on his face. Then, as if her feet had a mind of their own, she sprinted past the house, snapping a command to Angel, who obeyed. Abby, wait. She ignored Augie and kept running. She reached Eddie's townhouse and went inside, breathing hard, her calves burning from the hard sprint up the hill to the condo. She took care of Angel and filled a cup of water, then stood sipping it at the kitchen window, getting her breathing under control. The doorbell rang. She ignored it. Angel poked at her hand and whined. This got her attention, and she flexed her shoulders. She walked to the door and opened it just enough to talk, her sneaker wedged behind it like a doorstop. What do you want? It came out harsh and cold. Abs, let me explain. It's Abby, she corrected. Besides, there's nothing to explain. She wanted to add that he didn't get the privilege of calling her Abs anymore, but decided he wasn't worth it. He cleared his throat. Abby, it's, well, weird. We can't date. The Academy, if they found out, I'd lose my scholarship. Frowning, she recalled the argument she'd overheard after the wedding. So it was true. He kept his promise to Frank and had never meant to make her his girlfriend. She searched his face for the truth, for something to help her feel better, to help her understand why he lied, led her to believe he cared. All she saw was a pained look on his face. It didn't tell her much at all, deepening her confusion. Her hand tightened on the doorknob. So, she challenged, you're with her because you can't be with me. Augie's mouth opened as if to deny it, or maybe even admit it, but he closed it, sighing as if in defeat. I don't know why I ever trusted you, Abby said. She slammed the door shut and turned the deadbolt walking away to take a shower. His voice carried up the stairs, along with the sounds of his fist pounding on the door. Abby, wait, please. But she ignored him. She was only 14, but felt so old, so tired, so betrayed. He'd said he didn't care what anyone else thought. He'd promised to be there with her. He hadn't lied. He just hadn't kept his promise. She let the tears drip along with the water in the shower. When she stepped out of the bathroom, she imagined feeling her affection for Augie and her trust in her run down the drain with the water. The end. Powerful, Annie. Thank you. Hi, my name is Seamus King, and I'll be reading a selection from my short story, Weird of the Wolfkin. At this point in our adventure, the two heroes, the Viking Brandir, and the knightly Arendelle are climbing up through the mountains in order to find his missing friend. 
Brander and Arundel were up before the sun rose, a broke camp in the murky gloom. They hiked through the thick fog, the way becoming both narrower and steeper, now barely more than a game trail. The wood around them deepened, the endless rows of ash and oak occasionally broken up by stands of silver-barked birch. They passed through hidden mountain meadows, where the last of summer blooms struggled in the cold while bees and butterflies darted back and forth. Brander lifted his hand, and a blue and silver-winged swallowtail landed on it, fluttering against him. He smiled, but when it took off, his miasma quickly returned. The day's trails were too hard for Brander and Arundel to speak much, and even Frakie, Brander's black and silver-furred elk hound, was tired by the time the sun started to set. The wind crooned as it whipped through the crags, stones, and trees, its sound haunting, even as it drove gauzy clouds across the sky. Brander found them a spot nestled between some massive boulders, and they quietly worked to set camp. They had just set the fire when the moon rose, half hidden behind the wispy curtain of clouds. The first rays of moonlight had just begun to spread across the mountainside when howls rose to greet it. Arendelle sat by the fire, arms wrapped around her legs, and listened. How many? Not quite a whole pack, Brander murmured, and far off. He shook his head. I wouldn't worry. It was a good summer, and only now the start of autumn. There's plenty of game for them to hunt this slow. This slow, he says. There will be less of them as we go deeper and higher, he continued. How much deeper do we have to go? About two more days. We've been traveling the perimeter of the Northern Crown up till now. Tomorrow we reach the gorge, and we'll follow it into the Crown's heart. Delightful, she sighed. The trail continued to rise the next day, to where regal fir and hemlock appeared in deep stands. The high maples were splendid in flashes of red and violet and indigo. The path curved around a gorge, deep, its still green trees and rose hundreds deep as the land sloped downward. The path curled around until it reached a long bridge over a narrow pass, and the sound of the river pushing far below filled the gray day. Brendel and Arundel began to cross the bridge, a once mighty oak long since cut down in a single piece and laid across the gorge. Two ravens perched on the rope rails and flew off into the air as the travelers passed. That evening they sat once again in their camp in another cleft, and once more the wolves howled through the night. I thought you said there would be less of them, Arundel said, frowning. There should be, Brander said. We're further up. There's less game, he found, unless they're following us, which makes so sense. Why not? Because wolves don't follow humans unless they're starving, Brenda replied. There's easier game. Breaky? The dog looked up, pointed ears twitching and turning with his gaze, then looked back at Brander and tilted his head with a little shake. Scarter nodded, reaching down to scratch the thick fur of the dog's neck. Good. They're still not close. Still. We'll take watches tonight and keep the fire high. He'd shoot on his lower lip, his gaze clouded like a sky awaiting the storm. It will be fine. Arundel could tell he was lying. Thank you. Thank you, Seamus. Very vivid. Thank you. Welcome live from South Africa. Wow. Thank you. Yes. Yes, and I need to say good evening because it's around about quarter past eight. This is a memoir. I went uh, to boarding school when I was five and a half years old. It was about 2,000 miles away from home. My mother and they, they were chewing there, so I couldn't, whenever something bothered me or I was scared or I wanted to know something, I couldn't ask my mom. And this is now just a little girl uh, putting all these questions and the, the stuff that I was scared of and so on. And thanks to Sarah for reading it. This piece is called Mama, I Couldn't Ask You, I Couldn't Tell You. Mama, I'm very scared here where I lie on my bed in the hostel at school for our afternoon sleep. It is terribly hot outside, and the wooden shutters are closed halfway to keep the heat out. The light comes through the openings at the bottom, top, and in the middle where the shutters are open for fresh air. It looks like fire, and it scares me. Mama, 
I want to sit safely in my little nest below the sewing machine's table with my side turned toward the open door where you have your pins and needles, like a wall at my side, my back resting at the side of the machine, listening to the whirring sound when your foot is pressing the pedal. I love it when the material slips off the table, touching my skin as you work. Mama, it is night and we must sleep, but I am so very scared that my teeth clatter. Madam's room is directly below on the ground floor and she hears each sound coming from our room upstairs. She'll be cross with me again if I make any sound. Oh no, there she is opening the bedroom door. Mama, but this time she doesn't scold me. She picks me up and we go downstairs where she places me in her soft, warm bed next to her. Oh, I feel so safe and relaxed with her body next to mine. I awake still in Madam's bed as she wakes me to go back upstairs to get ready for school. Mama, one night of sleep without nightmares and fear, just like at home. Mama, I don't understand. What did we do wrong? My best friend and I went out to play on the small lawn next to the seesaw to play school. I will be the male teacher, and you can be the mists, okay? I told my friend, okay with me. As we decide who will take which side of the lawn for our classroom, a voice suddenly yelled at us. Madam wants to see you two in the scullery, the voice of one of the older girls said. Why? We haven't done anything wrong. Come along and you will hear. Scared and uncertain, hand in hand, we followed the senior girl. As we entered the scullery, Madam's angry voice said, What have you two been up to? Hetty, I know it was your idea, you filthy brat. Startled, we stood there. Mama, we didn't have an idea what she was talking about. We just wanted to play school. And now we're in trouble? What does that mean? Your punishment will be that both your mouths be rinsed with soap so you never talk like that again. The senior girl was to put the soap on our toothbrushes, mine with lots more, as my friend would never have thought out something so disgusting. Hetty will get much more, but her friend was part of it too, so she must brush her mouth too. I don't like Hetty. Her explanation went over my head. Mama, why doesn't she, the older girls, and Madam like me? Mama, if only I could ask you. Mama, if only I could write and tell you what happened today. I can write you a braille letter, but you can't read it, and Madam must write the written words below mine. And if I write something she doesn't like, I'll be in deep trouble. Mama, I know I was wrong, but my punishment was a sin. I walked into Madam's bedroom thinking of the night I slept so safe and warm in her bed. On her dressing table was some sweets, and I couldn't help taking one, as it was a sugar baby. Later, I went back for another one. I couldn't resist the urge for a sweet. Madam saw that some of her sweets were missing and came into the room where we were listening to the radio. Another girl told her that I was eating sweets, and I lied, telling Madam another senior girl gave it to me. Madam asked the girl whether she gave me sweets, and of course she said no. As your punishment, you won't go to the Easter prayer meeting at the church this evening. Go to your bed and stay there. Mama, forbidding me to go to church is a sin. These are the prayer sessions just before Easter Sunday, when the Holy Spirit came on all that many people. Surely she will be punished, won't she, Mama? Another thing I wish I could tell you is that Madam was cross with me two days ago. This morning, when I said good morning to her on my way to the bathroom, she said, you were naughty on Monday. I'm not talking to you. Mama, that hurt. Is she never going to forgive me? I can't even remember what I did wrong. How am I going to tell you the next story? I felt so embarrassed earlier this afternoon. Three of us were sitting chatting on my bed when one suddenly asked me if I don't feel ashamed of myself. As it is high school time, I start wearing a bra. I felt my breasts with my hand and for the first time, I realized that there are two soft, wobbly things there. Wear a bra? Where am I going to get a bra? I'll go home for the next long holiday, but that is still two months away. For the rest of the time, I will try to hide my breasts with my arms. Mama, I wish I could ask you what to do but you are so far away. At last, the winter holidays are here. Three happy weeks at home with Mama, Dad, and my brother. Mama, I want to ask you something, I say with a red, shy face when we are alone in the bathroom at home. What's bothering you? You must never be shy to talk to me. Mama and I very seldom talk about intimate things. How am I going to tell her about the bra? One of the girls at school told me I should start wearing a bra. I told her with a downturned face. We will buy you a beautiful bra later this week. Please don't be shy. Tell me when something is bothering you. Later that same holiday, I had my first pair of stockings. 
It feels funny wearing this thin nylon stocking. I take them off and go to the bathroom to wash them. Ah, there is nice warm water in the bath. Mama's bath water. As I wash them, it feels good to have my hands in Mama's bath water. Almost like touching something of her. What are you doing? I didn't hear Mama come into the bathroom and had a little fright because of the harsh tone of her voice. I'm washing my stockings. In my bath water? I'm sorry. And I take it out to wash in the basin. Mama, how can I tell you what I felt like having contact with the water you are going to wash yourself in? I swallow the knob in my throat and turn my face away so she can't see the tears burning in my eyes. There are so many years ahead here at boarding school before I can write my last exams and go home for good. What would it feel like if I could have gone to school daily from home as my brother did? If I could have gone home after school where Mama waited for me with lunch and I could tell her all the news about what happened at school that morning, it wouldn't have been necessary to keep all the questions locked into my head as I do at boarding school where there is nobody I trust enough to ask. Can't ask Madame or the teachers as they may laugh at me or think I ask silly questions. If only home was nearer so I can go home more often than only every six months or if Dad could find work here and he, Mama, and my brother could move here where we will all be together. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Hetty. Our next reader is Jane Tolino. I'm going to read three poems. The first one is commemorative to me of my mom, who spent 50 plus years living in New York City out of her 300 or 103 years of living. We moved to New York City from Portland, Oregon, when I was 18. And this poem called A Place on a Bus remembers those early months. We, this mother-daughter pair, she old, I blind, step up from New York City's muck onto a bus. We drop in our fares, transfers, please. The money box spits out the transfers, what stuck-out tongues they are. Bus pitched and rolled and jolted. It grows ripe and close with smell. Riders become ominously silent or loud. They say, sit here, sit here. Hey, there's a spot over here. No, sit here. Someone grabs me without asking. I resist their assistance with a look. I chose to stand. Mother's arthritis slows her steps, but years of hustling and travel keep her moving. One seat opens up. She says, Jane, sit here. Now don't make trouble. My damned white cane speaks loudly. I don't even get to defer to mom's aid. I don't get to show mom my loving or caring. I do not get to show her my respect. Even she knows they would not understand. Rosa Parks, teach me to ride. The second poem is called After Thaws. Now here in Minnesota, where I've lived much of my adult life, we know a lot about Chinooks and thaws and winter. So here we go. Grab your coats. We just came off a thawing time down to zero in a day. Winds rise and fall again and again. They push, they shove, they sneak around and slide underneath. They smooth out the ground. They weight down the trees. But there's no snow yet. For days now, all the radio stations have given all the versions of brewing, prowling, dying storms. But I cannot smell the snow coming yet. Then, throughout one night, it flurried. Not the predicted foot or six inches, nor even the four inches. Just enough to force on boots, track up floors, blot out pointers to spring. As we return to winter, there comes 
such a hush all over the world. I sink into its clean, good, right, quiet. The world and I hold still in awe. Sometimes, I think, after making love, it is like that, too. The last poem I'm going to read is about what happens after I meet some people. And sometimes there's a huge sense of consternation. So here we go. It's called After We Meet. Maybe, just maybe, we can be friends. If you'll face me, accept me, get over yourself and get on with welcoming me into your world. I do this for you. Will you do it for me? My physical blindness is a physical fact, the result of a long ago accident. I live with disability. It is a fact and a gift. Can you understand? Do you feel safe? I'm not going away. It's not contagious. You cannot catch it from me. Here's the inescapable truth, though. We cannot erase it. In the twinkling of an eye, with the snap of fingers or of mind, or the twist of bones, you too could become disabled. If you say to me once, I'm sorry this happened. I mourn with you. I welcome your caring. Sorry, said twice, unnerves me. Silence is my response. Sorry again comes ripe with pity. Sorry once more speaks guilt. Thank you so much for listening. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm Abby Johnson Taylor, and I have three poems to share with you today. The first one is called Condiments. Garlic salt, black pepper, chili powder. I used under his direction after his paralyzing strokes. Having been a good cook, he wanted me to prepare homemade meals, not just pop something frozen into the oven. For six years, I cooked his meals. Wouldn't have blamed him if he'd walked out on me in search of a better cook. He always complimented me on my cooking. His arm encircling my waist, kiss soft against my cheek. Now that he's left this world, condiments sit in the cupboard, rarely used. The next poem is called Holding hands with a fair. With fingers and limited vision, I admire you. Your rough body, teeth, removable skull, all made of clay. In reality, you would be furry. It would be dangerous to be this chummy with you. But in the museum, we're friends. You won't, can't hurt me. And this last poem is entitled, I Dream of Florida. When the world caves in around me, I retreat in my mind to a beach in Jupiter. On a mid-March afternoon, I feel the sand beneath my toes, delight in the cool spray of waves that wash my feet. Enjoy a picnic lunch while a refreshing ocean breeze caresses amid cries of seagulls. Watch the tide carry troubles away. Then my heart will bloom again in the reality of my Wyoming world. Thank you all for listening. Beautiful. What a great range there. Thank you. Next is Carol Mackey. Thank you. I'm going to read three poems. The first, The Sun. Though hidden through the night, there's now a, 
a hint, a stain of smugly light, spreading blooms of brightness. You strut across the sky, touching hills, sea and sand, rocks and trees. Shadows lead your way. Then, bowing to the moon, you exit left, trailing your bright train. The second poem is A Bit of a Toothy Problem. The other day, honored tooth fairies, I missed the chance to be merry. We old fairies had coins that jingle to place under pillows for tooth singles. Today's fairies have a problem, it appears. Children everywhere are crying great tears because the store down the street won't honor bitcoins for their treats. (laughs) The last is so scared. My grown-up self grabbed my childhood and ran into the closet, slammed the door, and never looked back. Thank you. Wow. Terrific. Thank you. What a great range of work we're having here today. And next, Dave Trevino. I'm going to read from the beginning a mystery story, The Message That Wasn't There. One thing that's certain in the broadcasting business is that nothing is certain. Each day brings new challenges and interesting situations. Talking computers and other technology make it possible for a person who is blind to work independently in today's world of digital media. Sometimes the work can be murder. It was Wednesday morning at 6.57. I was at the control board in Studio A at WDGS Radio 94.5 FM. The first hour of SoundScope, the weekday news talk show I hosted, was almost over. The only thing left was the outro that would lead into the 7 o'clock network news. I opened the microphone and started talking. Good morning. This is SoundScope for your Wednesday. Sound information for the sound mind. I'm Jack Rondell. Coming up in the next half hour, we'll talk to Mayor Jenkins about progress on the new stadium and plans for the projected revenue it will bring. We'll also examine the incentive package that Oak Hills is offering the Lamron Corporation. Is the projected growth for our city worth the price tag to secure the location of the corporation's new plant here? All this, plus traffic and weather on the 8s, right here on News Talk 94.5 WDGS-FM. Network News is next in sound. Stay with us. Killing the mic, I brought up the bumper music for just a second, then quickly faded it under as the traffic report began. My fingers skimmed the braille display in front of me, looking ahead to the show's next segment. Suddenly, the voice of our news director, Charlie Fisk, came over the in-studio intercom. Jack, line one, he said excitedly. Sergeant Drake Harley, Oak Hills Police. Sounds like it could be a biggie. Get on it. Can you hang up? Meet me in the newsroom. Forget the show. Susan's covering for you. Covering for me, I asked uncertainly. But I smell a story, Fisk interrupted. Go, Rondell, go! Charlie Fisk always smelled a story, I thought. He lived, breathed, and dreamed news. But his enthusiasm and curiosity were contagious. Besides, he'd given me an order. So I pressed the button for line one. Jack Rondell, what can I do for you, Sergeant? We need you to translate some Braille, he said, getting right to the point. I've already talked to your boss. He's released you for the rest of the day. 
Officer Tony Myers will pick you up in about half an hour, so be ready to go. Sergeant Harley had been a guest on my show several times as a crime prevention and home security expert. Why was he being so mysterious and brusque this morning? Peace me for the rest of the day. What's so urgent? I asked. Murder, Harley replied. Good Lord, I said after a few seconds of stunned silence. Though murder is all too common in our society, it's still a shock when it hits close to home. And up a quick prayer for the family of the victim, whoever it was. Who was murdered? I asked. I'll fill you in when you get here, Sergeant Harley replied in a tone that said he wasn't taking any questions. But still, I persisted. Anything special I need to bring? Bring whatever you need to translate Braille computer files into print, a little less brusquely. We'll be working with Angie Barnes, our best police stenographer. She'll provide print from the hard copy Braille documents as you read them aloud. We'll get anything else that you need. See you soon. I hung up, put a flash drive into my note taker. Well, that's just about it. Terrific. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Four Seasons by Rita Polsoni. To me, autumn is a time when flowers go to sleep and leaves fall on the ground and dry up. It is all a time birds fly south and the weather gets cool. Winter brings blustering winds, which brings cold white snow that makes us feel like we want to hibernate like the bears. Spring wakes up the flowers with spring sunshine and cool rain. Summer comes like a lion with people going to picnics and beaches. That is what the seasons mean to me. Thank you. Thank you, Rita, and welcome. Sarah is our intern, finishing up this, her last semester at college, and we are so blessed to have her with us. I am Sarah. This is my poem called Dandelion. Sprawled across the lawn like memories, painful memories. Dandelion swaying in formation as if to wage a war. This war with myself as my emotions spiral out of control. Soft white pillowed shells transfigure before me, blowing unrealistic dreams out into the unkind breeze. Those dandelions left bare from the harsh rustle of wind, bare like my empty promises. Their movements stiff and frightful, yet expressive, like the raptured remembrance of my stories to myself. Some dandelions are missing Pappas, the way I miss long walks under the majestic blue sky, spilled across the lush green grass, beautiful like myself, against the highlight of the golden sun. Thank you, Sarah. Pam Johnson. A piece I want to do is um, called, it's called Brilliance. I am a horse. Let me introduce myself. My name is Brilliant. I am owned by Blade. He's a rancher in this area, this beautiful western area. I like to gallop everywhere, all through the valleys, the crisp grass that crunched under my hoofs. I like to gallop along the hills, under the sunshine, under the trees, or the cactus. One day I was galloping just for fun. People used to tell me that I galloped like a lion, (laughs) if lions can gallop. And I also ran like a leopard. How about that for a compliment? So one day I was doing that. I was running real fast. And then all of a sudden, this hill came up. It was a small hill. And under the hill, there lay a whimpering animal. I went over. It was a whimpering horse. A small one. There was a hole there. He must have stepped in the hole. I nudged him. He tried to struggle, tried to get up. He had his foot under him. He whimpered again. I nudged him. He nudged me back. Oh, no. What could I do? 
the poor animal. He struggled again, and then he just lay crumpled with his leg under him. I had to get help. I had to go back and get a blade, my owner. I turned. I galloped like an eagle, flying through the air. At least I felt I was flying through the air. And I got there, and there was my owner walking towards me. I nudged him, and and I tried to get him to follow me. He got to follow me, but he said, "Look, the clouds are ominous. You got to get in the barn." And and he grabbed grabbed me, grabbed my neck. But then I pulled away. Then I nudged him again, and I pulled his shirt. He and he exclaimed, "What in the heck are you doing?" Why are you doing this? Then I nudged him again, almost pushing him down. And then he got up and said, oh, you want me to follow you? So he got in his nearby truck with a bewildered look on his face. So I I galloped faster than the car, faster than the wind. So the truck drove and drove. And then we landed, both of us, if we can land, that is, right in front of the horse. It was about a few yards away. Blade got out of his car, he, he, out of his truck. He knelt down where the horse was. I whimpered and nudged the horse again. And Blade knelt down and examined the horse. And he, he looked at his leg and he started stroking him. And then he, he pulled out his walkie-talkie cell phone and he, and he, got, on the, um, he got on his cell phone was walkie-talkie cell phone, and he, he said, Terrence, Terrence, there's an animal here, a horse. I think it might be the missing horse from, from the uh, Dove Ranch nearby. And so then, lickety-split, we waited a while, and came the other truck, and, he, and the other, other fella got out, came over, and between Blade and and Terrence, they hoisted the poor animal onto the truck, and and while the horse was whimpering and crying, and and then afterwards, Blade came over to me, as the truck drove away. Blade came over to me and started laughing and and stroking me, and I started all these great horse sounds and started whimpering, and we were laughing and jumping around and having fun, and. And he said, brilliant, you really are brilliant today. The end. Thank you. Thanks, Pam. What a happy story. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Lisa Gilmartin, you're up. Thank you. Uh, These are two poems. The first one I wrote when I was 16, entitled, I See. I am so alone. I need someone to trust. Someone to lean on, share what's not repeated, cry in the shoulder, not to be turned away. Knowing those not really friends, knowing those, knowing there are not really friends. I need friends and love. Where do I find it? I've tried. Not knowing where to start. It's not going to fall in my lap. I've waited too long. I need someone to understand now, but no one will listen. Everyone is in such a rush. For once, I wish they'd just hush, realizing what's around them. Soon time will pass everyone. Not even realize it, but it's not going to happen to me. I stopped running. I am aware of what's happening. I see. Lisa Gilmore. The next one is entitled Friendship. It's, I'll be glad to do it, times that make your cares lighter. The laughing that rings out and chimes that makes your outlook brighter. Never mind the trouble statements. The yes, I understand. The interest and encouragement in everything you planned. Friendship helps you manage strife, the friendly word or smile that adds such happiness to life and makes it more worthwhile. 
at Lisa Go Martin. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And now I think we have Kathy King. This is a work in progress from a volume called Survival and Science Among the Stars, copyright 2022 by Kathleen P. King and Seamus King. In this scene, a research team is on a spaceship with multiple species working together and some specimens have been stolen. The head researcher, Bridget, who is low vision, heads to speak with one of the team leaders, Dr. Gerd. Chapter four, mix it up. Mission day 34. Making a gesture beyond her comfort zone, Dr. Bridget McCabe walked towards the lab with two cups of mocha coffee. She had spent much of the evening evaluating her reactions towards Dr. Gerd. It had nagged at the back of her consciousness all afternoon while she worked through the data. Then those Gerd alerts, as she now thought of them, took front and center during the evening. What was it about him? Were her concerns well-founded or just her own bias towards its species? Or was there really something there? These were a few of the thoughts that were circulating through her brain related to Dr. Sloven Gerd. She cleared her consciousness, pasted a smile on her face, walked in with a positive attitude and called out, Glad how, Dr. Gerd, are you ready for our meeting? She heard him before she could really see him. He was clambering from the back of the room towards her, his small bald head bobbing as usual, and a slight green glow frequency. Was that coming from him? Gerd was merrily chattering, and Bridget could now see him jittering and bouncing along on his three short legs. Why, I'm right here at my desk by the star windows, my friend. I know uh, by your standards, I'm quite small. But really, I'm right in front of you. Why is it I always have to apologize, Bridget thought. He's the one that can see. Then, as she drew closer to his voice, she had to stifle a childlike giggle from bursting out. Hello, Dr. Gerd, Bridget said in what she hoped was a measured tone. Is there a particular um, celebration today, perhaps? Not at all, my friend, said Dr. Gerd, clad in his baseball cap and smoking on an odd small pipe. Um, as your species would say, contemplating. What does this seem funny to you? Bridget felt self-conscious about her mirth. Well, your apparel, it's a bit unusual for the research lab. How does this fit in with our research project, Dr. Gerd? Meanwhile, she thought, how did Gerd know she'd been thinking about laughing? Maybe she needed to study her facial responses more clearly. She knew she had not laughed aloud. Now, in addition to his head bobbing more rapidly, Sloven Gerd was squeaking a low-pitched sound. He said, or squeaked as it were, with apparent unbridled excitement, I know about the missing equipment and materials. I was in research lab four last night and overheard your assistance. And he tumbled to his three feet and began clambering up and down by the window side of the room. This seemed to be Sloven's version of pacing. He exuded intense concentration amid the jitter-like pacing. To top off the odd display, the green glow was increasing in intensity and alternating on and off. Yes, that green glow was definitely emitting from GERD. Now you'll have a treat from not just me, but from Annie Donnellan Davis, who has recorded Apple Batter Up, the first book in the Sister Shenanigans series with Piper and Kylie. This book is based on a true story. My sister and I played baseball in the house with a bushel of apples using a twirling baton. And we're alive to tell you about it. In this clip, you'll hear Piper and Kylie have just started playing their new game called Whack the Apple. Enjoy and watch for this new release on Audible in the fall 2022. Chapter 5 Whack the apple? Like baseball? I asked. Piper scoffed. No, no, no. This is no baseball, sissy. My eyebrows shot up, encouraging her to continue. 
Whack the Apple doesn't have bases or boring positions like left field or shot stop. Instead, Whack the Apple is only hitting. You get points based on the splatter in the kitchen. Wow, I shouted, jumping up and down in excitement. Can I go first? Piper shook her head at me. No, this needs to be tested. I'm the oldest, so I'll go first. Piper took the apple and baton over to the far end of the kitchen that connects into the dining room and said, You must stand right here during your turn. Her eyes surveyed the kitchen as I made my way past her to get out of the way. What are you doing? I asked from behind her. She turned and said, I'm setting up the point system in my mind right now. Let's see. On the counters, that's ten points. On the walls or windows, that's twenty-five. But if you manage to get the back door window with apple splatter, that's a hundred points. I nodded. Okay, go! Piper lined up her feet in position and then tossed up the first apple. Illustration shows Piper standing in a batter stance holding the baton. The apple is in the air in front of her waiting to be hit by the baton. She swung the baton and missed the apple entirely. Her face turned red with embarrassment. That was a practice swing. Here goes the real one, she insisted. Excitedly, I said, swing, better, better, swing. She tossed another apple up and swung with all her might. This time she connected, sending bits of apple everywhere. Whoa, I shouted. That was awesome. My turn, my turn. Wait, she said. We need to tally up my points. We need a pen and a piece of paper. She turned and ran through the dining room and up the stairs towards our bedroom. I followed behind her. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.